Hi, this is Nikita Petrov. You're about to hear my conversation with the visionary artist David Pulaski. We talk about drugs, travel, childhood identity, language, speaking in tongues, and what brings us closer or further away from a clear view of reality and a freedom from the ego. I want you to see some of David's art, which I love, so I'm going to play for you an excerpt from a previous conversation in which he talks about what he calls his negative mystical experience. And I will put some images up while the excerpt plays. Uh, the music behind the fragment is written by my Russian friend Kostya Shaligin, uh, and I hope you appreciate both the imagery and the sound. Thanks. In 1974, I'm sitting in my living room on the floor, beautiful summer day, and I'm designing this kinetic sculpture that I was going to build, and all of a sudden, from out of nowhere, it felt as if someone had snuck into my house and hit me on the back of the head with a baseball bat. What it felt like was the angel of death had swooped down, hit me on the back of the head, and killed me, and yet condemned me to continue existing anyway. So there was this incredibly profound emptiness uh, and this terror that occurred as a result of that, that only intensified with time. Uh, it went on for a long, long time. was able to finally fall asleep, I would wake up in the morning and the feeling that I had was as if I had been stabbed in the psyche with an ice pick. Everything that I was and could do had absolutely no meaning at all anymore. Everything was just complete existential emptiness. It was as if I was falling through an infinite void and feared splattering against an existential brick wall at some point. I tried to get out of this through thinking, but the sensation that I had was one of complete worthlessness. And so how is a worthless person able to think a worthwhile thought to get out of it? It was a catch-22. It's like trying to call yourself on the telephone. You always get a busy signal. It eventually evolved into kind of a koan uh, that I felt as if I was a key locked inside of a box and the lock that held me closed was the lock that I was the key to. When I was in uh, when I was in India years ago, visiting my then guru, um, uh, there I met a woman. I went to over to the west coast to Goa, which is on the Arabian Sea, and it's white sand beaches and palm trees, and it's a kind of a, a 
a thoroughfare for all of the people from Europe coming down the coast of India on their way to Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka seemed to be the, the destination for some reason. Uh, but And it was a nude beach. All the Europeans and all the Americans and everything ran around naked. And, you know, we're body surfing in that beautiful, warm Arabian Sea and the wonderful three-foot waves. <clears throat> and, and incidentally, body surfing is, is much easier in the nude because you have your rudder out, you know. <laughs> and, and in my case, I'm afraid it didn't make much difference. But, but uh, <laughs> um, nevertheless, there was this Australian woman there, uh, a very, very fetching young woman uh, that I was smitten with. And uh, she would roll, and, and, and um, everyone, uh, hashish was very available over there at the time, but you couldn't get marijuana. And somehow mm -hmm. she was able to get marijuana and she would roll these big, enormous joints, but she would put a filter in them as well, you know, like a filter tip, you know, like a cigarette, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, crazy days. Anyway, how much time did you spend there? Uh, just about two months. I was there mm -hmm. at the ashram for a, a while, uh, you know, with Sai Baba, watching him do his, as I already told you, I already told you that story. But um, yeah, right. I was there for a couple months and then traveled around all over uh, India. And it was, it was delightful. It was really wonderful. There are some Russians that keep telling me that I should go. Uh-huh. Um, but... Like I, I know that I shouldn't prejudge. I, I haven't been there, so I, you know, it's better to leave the preconceptions uh, away. But because most of what I hear about the place comes from these kind of hedonistic drug people who oh. are into trance music. Yeah. Um, I have my reservation against reservations yeah. against the thing because it's uh, it seems too much. I, to, like it, there's a mixture of spirituality that I don't particularly trust. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a quest for spirituality that seems somewhat suspicious to me, and then mm -hmm. this hedonism tied somehow with, you know, it's like IT people and people who who make good living and like good food and no. not just good food, not simple good food, not like they. Grow right. some tomatoes and the tomatoes are good. No, they go to a restaurant and they're, you know, the white handkerchiefs and the whole thing. And, and I, that scene is not my scene. Yeah. There was a, a, a wonderful bit. Um, I forget his name. Uh, an Italian comedian actor uh, who did the movie about being in, uh, in, in, uh, in a concentration camp. Um, I can't, uh, uh, Beninia? Yeah, that's him. Yeah, he he talked one time about uh, going into the best restaurant in the town, getting the best table and the best tablecloth with the best plate and the best fork and the best glass with the best water in it and the best flour in the vase. You know, the whole thing down to the down to the nth degree, <laughs> and yeah, pointing out yeah. the absurdity of the whole thing. Of course, you know. One of my worst experiences on psychedelics was when I um, relented when people... I never liked this trance music, this, this yeah. you know, if you go to a festival that mm -hmm. includes this, you know, psychedelic dimension to it, yeah. the music there is this electronic uh, dance thing. Right, pulsating. And I never liked it, and I never could... 
never could relate to it. And people kept telling me, well, because you're listening to it incorrectly, you need to get uh, some LSD, you need to go to a place, to a festival, <clears throat> you need to be there with a crowd of people. It's not for sitting down or like taking a walk and listening right. to your headphones. Yeah. And so trying to be open-minded, I did go to one of those things. I suppose it was not the best one. Um, mm -hmm. So people still have that argument for me, like you haven't done it, done it correctly. Yeah. You should have done, gone to a different place in a better, uh, you know, environment, yeah. etc. But this was some, you know, this was in Russia. Uh, all of these things are illegal, so it's on the DL. People uh, have only found out uh, where the festival is going to take place mm, like yeah. a few days b prior. And it's in some forest in, I don't know, uh, some few hours away from Moscow. Yeah. And um, I came there with um, with my brother and a group of his friends. And we set up a tent and I did, did take a tab of LSD and... Um, it only made it more clear to me that I don't want to be there, that yeah. I don't like this music yeah. and I'm skeptical about the, <laughs> the company. And so I just wandered away and I found myself a little, uh, I guess, town, like a little settlement uh, where there was just children playing in the playground and uh, it was summer windows in the apartment building are open and so you can hear families mm. arguing and like some mother scolding a teenager and uh, there are old people sitting on a bench gossiping and all of that seems so idyllic to me. Yeah. There's just this life of a, of a small town, poor people yeah. and simple life and simple human issues. Yeah. Uh, you know, family... Um, bickering and stuff sure and i sat there uh under some tree and i liked it you know i liked being there but then at some point i you know i was closing my eyes and i was seeing dancing skeletons in the mayan setting oh yeah and then i would open my eyes and see those villagers and i would think at one point one of these people are going to come over to me and say what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> and so I decided to get up and uh, try to find my way back to that, you know, hedonistic techno party. Yeah. And that was, uh, you know, the journey was difficult because it's like, I don't know, I have no idea where I am. I'm going through some forest and uh, uh, the guiding thing is the sound of that music that I really, really don't like. <laughs> and it is, it's very loud, but like, you know, the starting point, that, that little town, there is no music. So then I wander around and I start to hear the dung, dung, dung in the background. And yeah. so I need to go towards that sound and it gets worse the closer <laughs> I get to it because I hear more of the music. Um... Oh, and anyway, eventually I did find my way back. I still did not like it there. And um, I was in this tent, uh, but some of the people that we knew, uh, people wealthier than myself, 
they were renting these fancy little cottage houses. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I told my brother, I want to get the fuck out of here. I don't like this. Uh, this music is evil. The idea that we came to a forest and destroyed the harmony of the forest sounds with this, right. uh, you know, loud techno stuff yeah. Yeah. is bothering me. And so I, I should just uh, figure out how to get a suburban train and get back to Moscow. Yeah. And he said, well, let's go over to these friends of ours. You know, you'll take a, a break. You'll see whether you still want to do it. And so we came over to that place and it is much more comfortable, much nicer. There is like, uh, you know, these people, the, the, the kinds of people who know their good food and good wine. Sure. And it did not make it better for uh. me. <laughs> like this is, this is a different kind of evil, it seemed at the time. So anyway, that, 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 that ended with me texting an old friend who's, you know, I don't think he even knew that I'm away at, yeah. at that, you know, right. or where I was. Yeah. And I guess he was at the time at a, like a party, not a party, like a gathering at somebody's apartment that has grown stale. And so yeah. when I texted him saying, hey, this is, this is a long shot, but I'm a few hours away from Moscow in some fucking forest, and I'm on LSD and I would like to get back home. Could you help me out with that? He's like, well, that's an emergency. I have to leave this boring party, I suppose. And so he <laughs> got into a car and drove a couple of hours to get me and then a couple of hours back. And so that was the, that. And then before that, I had a, like a Skype call with a friend. Yeah. And those were really beautiful moments that came out of a bad experience. I really did not like that environment and that, what was happening there. But the fact that one of my friends, uh, you know, picked up when I called and just talked to me as yeah. I was waiting for the other one to actually physically, you know, abandon what they were doing and yeah. uh, go get <clears throat> me. Um, those were, you know, I cherish those moments because those, those are the connections that, I, uh, that, that Absolutely. Uh, sustain one. This brings up a couple of ideas to me, and that is that, uh, you know, being led, being, being, you're out there lost, and the only thing you have to lead you back is this music that you hate. It's like being in a relationship, and you're feeling really, really lonely, and the only, but the only person that you have that can really help relieve you of your loneliness is the person that you don't like, that you, that you hate. <laughs> you know, it's just this the that's conundrum a, that's of a I think it's, thing I think it's well. one of I think it's one of the the, the rings of hell or whatever you know uh, Dante's yeah. Inferno yeah. perhaps I don't know but um, the other one that came to mind was that um, that I was thinking about this the other day about the way that that um, that I I how am I going to put this that I don't, I don't, you know, when you're in conflict, when you're in conflict, I don't like to be the source of conflict for another person. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I was thinking though, that perhaps one of my purposes on earth 
is to be a person who creates conflict for someone else because it's maybe it's necessary for the evolution of their soul. And so this person that you were in this trouble, so you had this trouble going on. So you called this other person who was at this boring party. So your conflict helped save them from this boring party and gave them a reason to, a legitimate reason to escape from their level of hell to come and help you, you know, and get to express love for you at the same time. So. I think the latter part is more important. I'm sure, I'm sure he would be fine staying a little longer at the party that's not so engaging and then uh, going back home. Yeah. But uh, I do think that there is, th this is important. This is something that's counterintuitive. I don't like, you know, my natural kind of inclination um, is to not ask for help. Right. Is yeah. to go yeah. through my shit on my own. Sure. And to not complain and to yep. not, uh, you know, uh, impose my problems on other people. Yeah. But, um, but I think that's not not a very healthy attitude because when I do, you know, step out of that uh, that that state of mind and actually you know, become vulnerable and share something, mm -hmm. uh, some my troubles with, with, a, with a friend, that often helps them because then they find out they're not alone. They're exactly. not the only one who are yep. struggling with whatever they're struggling I with. I agree. And then, and then helping a different, like this, like this, this default position of mine, I want to help other people. I don't want to, you know, add problems to them. Yeah. Well, part of the reason I have that disposition is because I know from experience that one, when you help a person, it makes you feel better. Exactly. You know, it's not a totally altruistic thing. When you yeah. help somebody out, you immediately become, you know, more satisfied. You feel better about yourself. You're a better person. Yeah. You get the sense of connection. People have gratitude towards you. All of that, you know, strengthens uh, yourself. Yeah. And so to hide your problems and to not ask for help is to not allow uh, people that are close to you to help you out and to get all of those positive things from uh, well you know, carrying their part of the weight of uh, this collective yeah. enterprise we're engaged in. Exactly. Well, and, and uh, your own vulnerability is one of the things that makes you attractive to me as a human being, you know, uh, and... And 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 compassion is born out of our own sorrow. You know, we recognize how it feels yeah. to be in 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 sorrow and in pain and emotional uh, distress or whatever. And so uh, it it uh, you know it bonds us to another person. We can we can recognize their sorrow. Then it makes us compassion compassionate and empathetic. So, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, uh, I I don't I don't believe that I knew you had a brother. I think I did mention it, but but we never talked about it. I have an older brother. Yeah, he's uh, like three and a half years older than oh, me. Okay, yeah, we did talk about that because I, I'm in the same exact same shape. My brother is exactly three and right. a half years older than me as well. Yeah, so right. That's that's yeah. what uh, what we did say, and I think we share yeah. uh, the abuse that uh, younger kids. <laughs> suffer oftentimes when there's that age difference between two yeah. males and exactly. when you're, you know, you're four yeah. and they're seven and a half, there's right. a big advantage in terms of who can hit whom. 
I, 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 I probably already bored you with the story about my brother's skeleton ring that he used to wear. He had this cast iron skeleton ring that he would wear on his, I'm trying to get up here, on his middle finger. And it was, you know, weighed probably a half a pound, something like that. And it had the big skeleton on the top, you know. And on occasion, he would turn it over so that it was facing down like this. And he would come over and then whack me on top of the head with it, <laughs> you know, with full force. And, yeah. I'd start, and I'd start crying and he would proclaim, you know, that didn't hurt, you know. So, <laughs> and that's why I am the way I am. It's, it's interesting to think about why all of that happens, like why the older kid oftentimes is, you know, abusive. Because they're not evil, they're a child. Yeah. Uh, and and, and uh, like in my case, the thing that I remember the most of these uh, fights, like we fought a lot, mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, while it's like punching and kicking, that's kind of a better part of the fight because, uh, you know, at least you're punching and kicking. Yeah. But there uh, used to be a thing that my brother used to do where he would pin me down and hold my hands. <laughs> and and he was stronger than I was. And it, 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 I, I guess I never understood then and I still don't understand what the purpose was and what he was trying to do. But the idea was like, I was trying to fight back to push him off of me. Right. And most of the time that was unsuccessful. And he would say, you just need to give up. You know, you just, if you wow. Wow. simply relax and <clears throat> give up, then, uh, you know, you'll, I'll, I'll let you go. And sometimes he would and sometimes he wouldn't. Yeah. But there was this, in, in all of these, or in, in many of these fights, there was this element of this weird element of him trying to present this as some kind of a, almost a spiritual teaching, like I'm letting you know how the world works and, and that, how you can get is, through it in an easier way. That is incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. Didn't work though. I didn't like, <laughs> those teachings did not uh, <laughs> stay with me. I'm not. You didn't know that your older brother was actually the Buddha. <laughs> yeah, there is. There is. A, I remember a, a time from an older, uh, you know, from a period when we were a little older. Like I think I must have been, I don't know, thirteen, which would make him uh, what sixteen and a half, seventeen. Yeah, and I'm just sitting there trying to do my homework or something on a couch, and he just hits me on on my leg, like not not hard, just annoying, just to to annoy me. Yeah. And, you know, I would ignore some of these, then I would punch back and, uh, and it just goes on and on. It's just like this slow, like getting on your nerves thing. Yeah. And there, I remember him being very explicit, like this, I'm, I'm trying to teach you a lesson. No uh, kidding. The, you know, the irritation, the frustration that you're feeling right now has nothing to do with me. If you just ignore, this is like, this is not painful. There's not going to be a bruise on you. This is not a problem. It's only right. a problem because you are getting annoyed. You're choosing to be annoyed. And um, I mean, there is something to it, but there is. that was 
fundamentally still him trying to fuck with me because yeah. he was bored or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh. I don't know. This is, and and you must. I mean, like I talked to him about this some time ago. Uh, you know, like a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, asking him, why do you think you were doing all of that? And I forget, I think he, like, he had a theory that he was not sure of. And his theory was that um, he's always struggled with asthma for, mm -hmm. since he was very little. So mm -hmm. he would uh, not be able to breathe. Yeah. And this was this, you know, big source of suffering and uh, and frustration and fear. And the counterintuitive thing about the asthma is, you know, freaking out about the fact that you're struggling to breathe only makes it more yeah. difficult to breathe. So you, what you need to do is you need to relax and then things would get better. And so his theory was that he, like, that's something that he was he needed to internalize and he needed to learn how to relax and let go, uh, even though the situation is so frustrating and, and, yeah. and uh, scary and difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess instead of learning that himself, when he actually needed that because he had asthma, he would, you know, transport that onto myself. Well, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. With the spinning down thing. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Wow. I needed to uh, let Leo out of the room because he locked himself out in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you you had mentioned, uh, what's your dog's name? That's Leo. Leo. Oh, Leo, right. Whoa. Bark, bark. Bark, Leo. Leo. I Leo, can't hear you because oh, I'm he can't hear in me. headphones. You need a little doggy earphones on, on him so he can hear <laughs> the conversation. Uh, you had mentioned in... in uh, in response to my uh, uh, my mentioning your interview, your really good interview with uh, Tanya Lerman, <clears throat> which was, again, you know, um, you ask really good questions. You're really well informed and 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 have a lot of interesting observations Thank to you. make and questions to ask. Um, but you had mentioned that that uh, that you you're for the last couple of months you've been having a hard time reading more than, um, you know, 10 or so uh, pages of anything that's really in-depth. And I myself am having that same problem. So I was wondering if you have any kind of insight as to your own, uh, what's, what's pre pre precipitating your own uh, problem there. Um, I'm not totally sure, but I have some thoughts. Uh, I think it's a mixture of what many people are suffering from now, the information overload of being online, oh. uh, getting getting used to the little snippets from Twitter or whatever, social media, uh, headlines. There's too many things to read. Uh, exactly. And and so you 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 get it's almost like attention deficit disorder or something. Yeah. Like you get used to the tiny little clips uh, of text as opposed to like sitting down and reading a complex argument and a narrative and all that. I think that's part of it. Um, and and like that's the negative part of the mm -hmm. diagnosis. But then I think another part is 
I'm trying to uh, create more things these days, like uh, mm. write, yeah. make drawings, uh, little animations, these right. conversations, whatever. Yeah. And in, <clears throat> in um, figuring out the genres, the formats that I want to engage in, I don't want to write a wall of text. I don't think that's the right medium for for today. Uh -huh. I don't, it, and it's I don't know the the relationship here is, it's a chicken and egg kind of question. On the one hand, I can say that it's just like I'm struggling to read some, something long unless it's very engaging, very interesting novel or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, and so maybe it's like my shortcoming, my lack of dedication uh, that then translates into when I'm writing something, I'm like, it, I want it to be interesting for myself or somebody like me for, you know, I, I don't want it to be boring. That That's one thing I yeah. most definitely don't want it to be. Uh, and so I try to make it shorter, you know, use a, a better economy of words, add these images, mm -hmm. make it more engaging, make it um, something meatier, something that you don't need to go through 300 pages to get to an idea, uh, you know, to yeah. th that, that could be packed in a smaller package. Um, so I don't know if it's like, if it's, I have a problem with sustaining attention. And so one of the outcomes is um, I'm trying to make my own art or writing or whatever more kind of, uh, easily digestible or it could be that the more I am trying to make these things, the more uh, I am aware of, of the, the challenge of making it more digestible and, and easier to yeah. um, engage with, the less patience I have with uh, other people's work that didn't you know, didn't do that part of the work or like making sure it's not right. boring. You know, that's an important part yeah. of whatever message you have. Um, I think it's, you know, I think it's an important dimension of uh, any kind of communication, whether it's writing or talking or movie making or whatever it is. It, you mm -hmm. should not just abandon that part of the thing. Well, it's, it's a very smart book. You need to, yeah, discipline yourself to get through the 500 pages. Yep. I don't think that's the right approach, especially for this age where we are all, not all, but most of us are in this information overload. If you yeah. want your message yeah. to uh, to go forth, uh, you need to take into account the, um, you know, the state of mind that uh, the potential reader or uh you know your audiences in yeah yeah i mean it's like in um, conversation you know, if, if you're talking to somebody and you have a lot of good important smart things to say but you're just completely boring and you see that the person you're talking to is checking <laughs> out they're thinking about their own thing well you're yeah. the fact that you have th smart things to say does not help that the communication yeah, is not occurring right, right. yeah yeah, I, I remember reading. Think there was a, there was a. Uh, oh God, 
there was a book written back in the the twenties and thirties, and it came it came out of a newspaper column written by Don Marquise for the Chicago Sun Times, and he had these characters called Mehed- uh, Archie and Mehedable, and Mehedable was a was a cat, and and Archie was a poet who, in his previous life, had been a free verse poet. Uh, but died of alcoholism or something. But he came back in the body of a cockroach, and Don Marquise accidentally left a piece of paper in his typewriter one night and came to find that Archie had uh, written something on his typewriter. And the way that he did it was by standing on the top of the typewriter and diving headfirst into a key one at a time (laughs) and giving his all to trying to create this poetry. And therefore, there was no punctuation or capital letters. And and one of the and and it was just it was it was a satire of the times and just really really lovely wonderful stuff that Don Marquise poured out through this little through this his 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 little character Archie the cockroach and one of the things that Archie said was that there are two types of two types of people in the world uh, uh, one um, uh, how how did he put it one could could describe the inner workings of the universe to you and bore you in the process, and the other could describe a paper napkin and thrill you with delight, you know, at the telling. So well, I'd say there's a spectrum. <laughs> Most of us definitely, are, are, are yeah. Not I, uh, and well, well Henry yeah. Kissinger, yeah. Uh, Henry Kissinger was asked one time, uh, what what. Uh, what uh, what fame had provided for him. And he said that now when I bore people at cocktail parties, they think it's their fault. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening. I've been listening the last uh, week or so. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of Terrence McKenna, who I oh, yeah. love, but but I've uh, I've taken a long break. Uh, you know, there was a time when I listened to just hours and hours and hours of his he just he uh, he go he, he there's there is so much there that I get worn out really quickly about uh, you know I mean there's just he it's almost that he doesn't take a breath sometimes you know that he just has so much to say. That's interesting because I I have kind of the opposite reaction. There's something really comforting to me uh, about uh, the way that he delivered his yeah whatever those were. Yeah, uh, yeah. A lecture is 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 a weird word to you um, yeah, attach yeah. to to yeah. to that genre. Um but he always makes me think about the nature of this of communication generally, of language, of what yeah. it is that we're doing when we're exchanging these sound waves. Cause he seemed to you know, he would just go on and on and on. And uh, it's, uh, to me, it's always interesting. He's uh, very rarely, he's boring. The only way it gets boring if you've heard it a million times because yeah. you've listened to all of these things. And it's packed with fascinating ideas. Um, but I always feel that even though the specific ideas are, you know, worthwhile, interesting, inspiring, Etc. It's not about any particular idea. It's more about the the way of speaking that he had. So it's, it's a little like it, 
Yeah, and and for me it was it was very similar to learning English for the first time. Like oh. when I started listening to his um, uh, his lectures some years ago, I remember the initial feeling was that I've stumbled onto something uh, for which my English skills are not enough. He was using these long words. Uh, it's you know, uh, as you say, it's dense with with information. Yeah. But as I observed myself listening to the thing, I'm like, no, I actually understood everything that he said in the last 10 minutes. And then I understood everything he said in the next 10 minutes and then in the next wow. 10 minutes. But all the while, I felt like I'm, you know, struggling to get a hold of this. Yeah. And so after yeah. a little bit, it became easier for me to understand what he is saying. And moreover, it taught me uh, some ways of speaking specifically about psychedelics but it, mm -hmm. it grows, you know, further than that. And so it's, I, I, I felt that this is very similar to like learning a foreign language. You're yeah. just listening at first and then you try to uh, talk. And if the process works, then soon enough, you're just talking. You're just like, we human beings can do this hours on end and it's effortless. Um, and and so the value for me uh, with with him is more that like he gets you into a way of thinking about things, a way of speaking about things, a way of relating to uh, different ideas and concepts in our situation. And there's a, a certain kind of humor in all of that, right. and uh, so it puts puts me into that kind of mood. But it also um, there's something slippery there. There's something that's something slippery about the nature of language and communication. Um, maybe a good way to approach the thing that I'm trying to approach is to point out that what he used to do a lot first on psychedelics, and then uh, he learned how to do it in ordinary life. He sometimes would give a sample, kind of like a little snippet uh, of that in these talks is glossolalia, is, you know, speaking in tongues, talking mm. in nonsensical sound uh, bites. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah. That sound like speech, but there's no meaning behind them. Or if there is meaning, yeah. it, it's kind of hidden from the person who's yeah. talking. And so there's a quality to that that kind of carries on to his actual... English speaking uh, part of, of his project when he's talking and it's not there's meaning there yeah I can I can you know reiterate some of the ideas I can write them down I can uh, think about them further but there's something behind the things that my rational mind understands that's mm -hmm. appealing there is something like a, <clears throat> almost like a trans inducing or you know psychoactive quality of human speech there's a person yeah. who can, uh, you know, a mother singing a lullaby can calm a baby and uh, and baby falls asleep. Or a person with uh, a lot of frustration inside, even if they're not saying anything angry or evil, they can make you uneasy because of their, you know, the speech pattern carries their frustration forward. Right. Well, hold on, hold and on, so, hold that thought, so hold that that's... thought just for a second. Hold that thought just for a second. I'm wondering if those people who enjoy the trance music at the raves that you found distasteful are finding that same kind of thing in that music 
that you find in those patterns of speech and the nonsense uh, syllables that uh, McKenna was talking, uh, speaking. That is probably true, yes. I mean, yeah. it's definitely the idea behind that music that it's supposed to be psychoactive. It's supposed to get you into a state of consciousness that's yeah. not usual yeah. for uh, yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just, you know, I guess my consciousness was resistant to that particular transition. I sure. didn't want to go yeah, to I the understand. place where didn't mean to interrupt you, but leading. that thought just occurred to me. Yeah. Um, well, I'm not sure where I'm going with this. This is... Let me try to approach... Sure. So this is this is one piece of the puzzle. And here's another piece of the puzzle. Uh, this is something I actually wanted to start the conversation with you with. And that's um, the feeling that I've been getting lately uh, with me starting to do more of my own creative work. I, you know, publish the newsletter. I do these conversations. Now I finally am doing yeah. them regularly. Uh, I, I talk to John Horgan yeah. every two weeks. So with right. an increased very output, sorry? I said very enjoyable. Love those conversations oh, thank with John. You. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and so with an increased output of, of this kind of stuff, um, I get emails or messages from people or uh, every once in a while, like a novel connection happens mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. online. And it puts me back into, it, it, it reminds me of the time when I was, let's say 10 to 13, mm -hmm. uh, which was a time when I spent a lot of, the technology was not as present. It was right. not as easy to get online. Uh, I did have a computer at home, but I think at that time the internet was uh, like you need to buy time or buy traffic. Uh, yeah. And I didn't have a lot of uh, uh, ability to do that. But we had computers at school, so I could sometimes go to the uh, computer class and spend some time on the computer there. And so at that time, at that age, the internet was very important to me uh, because at the age, you know, 11, I would talk to people in chat rooms, uh, all of whom were older than me, and uh, I would, I have no idea what I talked to them about. I don't remember. And then, you know, there's no record. But um, I made, you know, connections. I made that there were friendships uh, that existed online. Some of them translated into physical life uh, a little after. Some of them stayed this, you know, virtual weird thing. It's, it's not even what we're doing now. You know, you, you are more of an actual person. Uh, than uh, these people that I connected at, at that early age because that was all text. That was either email mm. or uh, these text chat rooms. Yeah. But, but the connections were meaningful and important. And, uh, you know, they opened the world further to me than, you know, what... What is the normal circumstance? You, you're at your school. You have your 30 classmates. That's the pool to choose from. Yeah. Um, if you're, uh, if you find yourself uh, interested in an idea that nobody in your class is interested as well, well, then you're the one person who's interested in this. But then when you go online, you can find other people who are, you know, different. Yeah. And so, 
and so that that whole period is very hard to remember to to you know really put a finger on what those friendships uh even crushes uh were how it all worked who i was at that time i'm sure that my memory of myself at age 12 is very far from what that kid actually was like because uh, we you know our own image of ourselves changes continuously yeah. but in any case that, that was this weird formative period you know the internet played this this important part there and then for a long time um nothing similar happened and i think there is a different you know the internet has changed that 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 young internet was very yeah. unruly weird place and uh very non-uniform mm-hmm. uh there were no standardized websites like now if you have a representation online it's most likely a facebook page a twitter account which looks exactly like every other twitter account and every other facebook page you have like four options to choose from uh, of these social networks back then people build their their own little websites the home page and the creation of a site was an artistic enterprise i always doing that i i would uh redo my little homepage every year or so and people had these like guest books were a thing on these sites where people would leave messages yeah. to the owner of the thing and uh and so somehow that allowed for more of a or at least that's how I felt I don't know maybe maybe the 12 year olds online now are doing the same thing that uh, I did when I was 12 yeah. but there were more of these spontaneous connections with people that translated into um actual relationships and so then for a while this was not present in my life and now with this newsletter stuff especially um but it's tied with the conversations that I'm having now um there's more of that happening and there's uh, I get an email from somebody that's a heartfelt message uh you know a person sharing something that's important to them uh, something intimate or asking something or just thinking out loud and then the fact that you and i are talking the fact that you and i have this uh friendship that that has a similar quality to the kinds of relationships that i formed at age 12 yeah. let's say where it's yeah. like you just somehow get connected with some person you've never you would never meet in normal life exactly. um and something clicks and and now you have this friend that you've never met yeah so there's two things <laughs> the mckenna rents and the glassolalia thing and this thing about relation this network of relationships uh emerging through online communication uh i don't know how to get those two elements together but they both point towards something about the nature of human relationships and human connection and communication uh that i've been trying to think about but it's very hard to think about it's like you know it's like if you ask what is language it's very <laughs> hard to wrap your mind around that because the tool that you have to address the question is language yeah and uh 
it's it's this like snake biting its own tail kind of situation or trying to bite your own teeth. Um, but there's something. There is even I'll throw one more thing here. There is in some of these psychedelic experiences that I've had. There's a sense, and and this this relates to something that you and I exchanged letters about um, about the. Uh, <laughs> the collective nature of the self, of the psyche, um, mm -hmm. that that our own minds can be seen as societies. So in, in, in some of these psychedelic experiences, I felt this, you know, being a part of a group that is engaged in, in this, whatever this is. This, mm -hmm. this was most prominent, I think, in one of the, either the first or the second ever DMT trip that I had yeah. where I had this feeling that I'm one of a bunch of entities, beings, and what was happening in the trip, which seemed so bizarre and unusual and, and alien, but also had a sense of familiarity, a sense of yeah. recognition. Um, and I was trying to get a hold of it, and I was trying to like understand what is happening, what this process is, and it's it felt so important, but also so slippery and hard to get a handle on. And there was this sense from the felt presence of others in there, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, which was, don't you remember this? This is what we've been doing this whole time. This is the only thing that has ever happened. This is where. We keep doing this thing, and every once in a while in that trip, I would get concerned or frustrated or scared or unsure about the thing, and I was, um, uh, what is the word, comforted. Uh, you know, there was this feeling of love and acceptance, and I get that you worry. Here's why you shouldn't worry. Uh, hmm. I was shown that there's nothing to worry about and mixed in with that, uh, you know, warmth and like, you know, don't freak out kind of message that was, we need you to not freak out because when you freak out, you get distracted and we're trying to do this thing. We're trying to figure out what is happening. We're trying yeah. to engage. We're trying to, there's a project that we are all collectively engaged in. Right. And every time you get anxious, it's like you, we need to start over. Then Nikita comes right. back and is like, oh, we're doing the thing and we're like, need to update you on where we got stuck. We actually need your participation exactly. to go forward with this. Yeah, exactly. And so all of these things together <clears throat> uh, amount to my hard to articulate uh, feeling about human communication lately. Like what mm -hmm. it is that you and I are doing right now. What it yeah. is that I do when a friend messages me and says, hey, how are you doing? You know, I've been lonely or something. Yeah, yeah. What it is that happens when I share either some problem of mine and the friend is able to help me out, uh, to comfort me, to, to, you know, give me that sense of connection. Or conversely, I write or draw something that I like and I share that and that hopefully inspires the other person, uh, you know, to, you know, uplifts their mood and uh, allows them to then create something of their own. Yeah. What it is that is happening when all of these 
interactions uh, occur, it oftentimes feel like I think we miss what is happening uh, often because we focus on like the content, like, like that person said a particular thing. He has an argument about how the world works or whatever. And mm -hmm. we focus on that, the content of the message, while right. the important thing that's happening is the fact that one person is sharing a message with another, information is being transmitted, and a connection is able to form, and, um, you know, things like that. The, and, 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 and that connection, um, it, it almost subsumes the content thereof. I mean, it's almost, it transcends the content of the conversation. And we contemplate or we concentrate on the form of the concent of the conversation in the form of words and language and meanings right. that they elicit inside of us when the more important thing is that unspoken and that unspeakable thing that occurs uh, between the two people that are doing the communication. And let me back up just for a minute to say that it seems to me that you are as important to the entities as the entities are to you. There's a thing going on in common in your relationship with them. You know, they yeah. like they said, you know, they're trying to do this thing here, and you're an important part of that, just as, you know, as as they're important to you. That that was and the I feeling was, that I was getting, a feeling of equality, a feeling of like peer yeah. situation, like right. a, a bunch of yeah. kids working yeah. on a yeah. school project or something. Right. And it, and it kind of goes back to the earlier part of the conversation about the fact that when we create conflict for somebody else, perhaps, you know, that's a necessary, uh, uh, necessary part of their journey as well to have that conflict for them to learn how to deal with it in a way uh, that's kind of off of the subject, but kind of related in the, in a way. Um, uh, I've been thinking about kind of about what you're saying as it regards to my current, um, uh, delving back into, uh, my practice of meditation. Uh, again, mm -hmm. in this way that, you know, I described to you that I had this kind of, I, that it seems like every spring uh, from the, uh, about the year 2000, every spring I have this period of, uh, of intense clarity that, that, um, that I find my being at peace. And there's, there's an obviousness to what it is that I'm seeing and experiencing that I'm surprised that I can forget. Why, you know, mm -hmm. how is it that I forget this? There, you know, it's so obvious. It's just so obvious. Um, and and uh, so this has been happening now for the last, I don't know, 15 or 20 years, something like that. And this year it happened again. And I always know that this is happening because I am drawn to the literature, the mystical literature, and those people who have experienced this thing that I'm experiencing and the way that they describe it. And so I find a new a, a pile of books in my studio that I've read before that now I'm reading again because they describe exactly what it is that I'm going through. And the other manifestation of this clarity is that I am drawn to the meditation cushion. I am drawn to sit, not 
in a way to get anything, but as a way of expressing this silence of just sitting mm-hmm. there. And 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 um and and the way that this relates to what it was you were saying is that in this clarity, I see that we, you know, the the practice of mindfulness has become this great thing now. Everybody's practicing mindfulness, being mindful of what you're doing, drinking a glass of water, washing your hands, or you know, being present to to your experience. And the and in my clarity, I see that we are focusing in the mindfulness practice, oftentimes, I believe, on the wrong thing, that we're concentrating on form. We're concentrating on form rather than the emptiness that that surrounds the form. And, and in this clarity, it's like becoming aware of the emptiness itself, not only becoming aware of that emptiness, but actually becoming that emptiness so that the self, you know, what we call the self completely disappears. Um, and, and so in what you were saying that, you know, we're concentrating on the words in the conversation and the meanings of those words, when there's something else going on behind those words that are like actually on the surface of this greater thing that is created between right. two people when they communicate. And it's kind of a form of transcendence, I think, that this going on behind the words, you know, when you connect with someone else, that sense of the, I think the sense of self kind of disappears and, um, uh, and the loneliness disappears um, because the self disappears um, uh, because we're so engaged in the process of conversation that we kind of forget ourselves in a way, which allows for that greater thing, that love, that connection, that, you know, that unity that's there behind it, behind us, and that we all share that one same consciousness kind of in a way. That's my take on it anyway. And so and, I want and to ask let me say this one further this. thing, and that was that I had this... There's, there, no, let me ahead. just Those, let me I think say briefly this analogy. In our, in our... There is. There's a little bit of latency. Um, uh, this, uh, uh, this analogy that I came up with the other night, I woke up in the middle of the night, and again, I felt this, you know, I felt some kind of a sense of uh, dread having just woken up from a dream or something. And it occurred to me that that which I really am, this awareness that I am at my deepest possible level, is completely unaffected by anything that occurs in my frame of reference, that it is clean and clear and unsullyable. It can't, it's like throwing black paint against the air. There's no place for the paint to stick. Um, And so it occurred to me when I said earlier that how could I have forgotten this thing, you know, when I don't have it anymore? How, how can it appear to have disappeared? It's still there. It's like when the clouds cover the blue sky. The sky is still there. You know, it's just covered over with clouds. And the clouds, in this case, being my emotions or my thoughts or my fears or something like that. This, this awareness is still there. It's always there. It always has been there. And the great masters of the spiritual paths say that it was never born and it will never die, and that that's what we are at the deepest level. But the the analogy that I came up with about how did I possibly lose this, lose this thing? How could I? Well, it's like we walk around and we're in a glass box, 
and the glass is perfectly clear. There are no blemishes on it. There are no discolorations. There are no cracks in it or anything. And we don't even know that it's there because it's pure glass. It's all around us and we don't see it. And in the awakened state, the glass disappears. And so it's this incredibly subtle shift of perspective that we, that, you know, we think that we're seeing reality, but then when the glass disappears, it really, it, it's an incredible difference. And yet everything looks exactly the same, but the glass isn't there anymore. It's just, it's this incredibly subtle shift. And it's so subtle that, that it, 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 you know, you say to yourself, how could I have forgotten this? It's just, it's so obvious. And it's like nothing has changed, but everything has changed at the same time. It's, it's, it's really, really remarkable. So what happens when the glass disappears? You suddenly feel the movement of the air. You feel more inside Something. of I, the thing that is happening as opposed to detached from, from, uh, from whatever is happening inside of I think, I think, I think what it would be is that that there's a direct perception unfiltered by the by the thinking mind. You know, there's mm -hmm. no there's no interpretation of anything that mm -hmm. you see or that you experience. It's just there. And it just right. is. And there is this ability to just let it be what it is. You know, if it's painful, all right, it's painful. And, and if it's joy, it's joy. If it's neutral, it's neutral. It doesn't matter. And and it's it's like it's like it's like this incredible sense of openness or spaciousness that was previously blocked in by the glass that you couldn't see this black this glass frame that you're looking through that you couldn't see. But now that it's gone, you realize that it was there, and now it's not there anymore. And there's just this like this sense of oh wow you know and 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 so you know and then it goes away and you and and it's just fucking painful when it goes away you say oh god how what how can i get it back how can i get it back how can i get it back well the way to get it back is to allow not having it to be and just experience that and because it's just the awareness itself that is the thing that you had that's now covered over again by the clouds of your emotions and your thought thoughts and 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 all of these things that that made your experience kind of a secondary experience from from experiencing it directly without the intervention of self you know this this structure of self that we uh, that we seem to be, that we seem to have, which, as it turns out, is is really just nothing but language superimposed over this clear feeling to make us believe that there's a self there that that can even be there, and it's just it's just language and thought that's 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 pasted over the top of this clear field that we actually are. I'm doing a bad job here, you know. No, no, you're, I'm just thinking about the, what you're saying about language. Yeah. Um, 
I I do get what you're saying, uh, and and I think I've said things like that myself. But no doubt, coming back to that glossolalia thing, yes, that McKenna used to do. Yeah, uh, I've tried doing it uh, a couple of months ago. I talked to John uh, on on this show about it. Yeah. Uh, I think the reason I was able to do it a little bit is I uh, was at the time uh, trying to microdose Amanita muscaria, these, you know, the iconic uh, red and white mushroom. Yeah. Though brown and white in my case, this was, uh, this was not Amanita muscaria, it was Amanita pantherina, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were very low doses. It's like um, like a vitamin or something. You know, you, you take a, a thing daily and then... You only get subtle, subtle effects. Yeah. But I think it was because of those mushrooms that at, on, on one evening when I was alone, uh, as I am now in this house, um, while taking a shower, uh, you know, I often sing or, or mutter something to myself. Yeah. And at that moment, I guess I remembered, you know, I have this interest towards glassolalia, towards this, like, it's a weird thing. It's a weird language-like thing that's not like language. And uh, I tried to do it. And I did it for, I don't know, half an hour, 40 minutes. I was walking around talking to myself in a language that doesn't exist. And it sometimes would, sometimes I would be kind of good at it for a little bit. And then it would become difficult. And uh, there was a lot of, shrugging and a lot of, uh, you know, the feeling behind the noises that didn't have any meaning, uh, but the feeling behind them was something like, you know, on the one hand there's this, but then on the other hand it's something like this. It's, it, it was just like walking around, just kind of shaking my shoulders, going like, I don't know. And, and, um, <laughs> and it was hard. It, it's not an easy thing to do, yeah. Uh, because because we're so used to the languages that we speak in, yeah. Uh, that to let go of the structure of the sentence, the words that you know, uh, and just allow noises to come yeah. out of your mouth is hard and when it's yeah. when you manage to say a little bit in that nonsensical language what happened to me anyway is uh i would start either repeating the same thing or doing slight variation on the thing uh which is i mean the richness of actual human speech is so vast compared to what i was able to mutter when yeah. i didn't need to you know, there were no limitations on what I was trying to do. I could have made any noises whatsoever, yeah. uh, but instead of it making the speech pattern more rich, it uh, made it very, very poor. It's like a, a few syllables, and then they start repeating, and then you feel stuck in in those syllables. And so uh, recently, today maybe, I was listening to one of these McKenna things, and he was talking about his experience with Glassolele, and he gave a little sample to the audience. He like spoke in this language that doesn't exist. Uh, and then people asked questions like, what were you doing just now? How was it for yourself? Did you have uh, something that you were thinking about while you were making the noises? 
did you have images in your mind or what? And he said, I was trying to not step in the way. I yeah. was trying the way, like if you get self-conscious, then you can't do it. Right. What you need right. to do is to let this thing go through you and not hinder it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the only thing that he had is like he said, the way he was doing it, it did sound like a, like a, you know, what we call primitive languages. Yeah. Uh, uh, like he said, the image that I have in mind is pygmies sitting around a campfire and one guy raving, one guy telling a story. And he did a little more of the noises and it, it fits very well with that image. But what he was trying to do is to step away to not hinder the flow yep. of yep. linguistic uh, sounds coming out of yeah. his mouth. So what I was, uh, I'm, I'm trying to get to is a language can be the way you described it. Like we put these sort of post-it notes on our perceptions and then we don't see the actual experience. Instead, we see a post-it note that says sorrow, frustration, love, happiness, etc. You're not engaged with the actual thing. You have this yep. maze of words representing the actual thing. Mm-hmm. And then it gets suffocating and it gets you get stuck and you don't get that clarity that you were talking about. Yeah. But at the same time, language can be uh, this flow of experience that if you don't get attached to it, if you just allow, you know, the thought process to unfold and the the communication process to unfold, you get lost in the conversation. You're saying things that you're a minute ago you didn't know that you thought that. Right. And <laughs> as you're saying it, you're not sure whether you think that or not, but you know, it's <laughs> happening. It just flows. And it gives you some pleasure and there's a sense of meaning in what's happening. And the connection, again, establishes between you and the person you're talking to and all of that kind of stuff. And the glass lily thing, it can be happening without a language with, you know, the way we think yeah. about language with these yeah. words that with, with specific meaning that's attached to them. Um, and I'll throw in one more thing. I forget what it is reaction to. You were saying something that made me think about the, there's a message that like I'm speaking right now and you could focus on the things that I'm saying, these, the contents of a particular sentence or a paragraph. But you could also, if you, for example, like me at one point, were learning English and you're listening to somebody talking English, um, then the contents of what they're saying are only a mean for you to listen to the language itself. And the language itself is the message that you're trying to get a hold of, right? You're, you're getting, because different languages do have different kind of perspectives. There are these landscapes of meaning. Right. And so when you, 
engage in a language that is foreign to you, for example, if that you're just learning, uh, then you can be saying things not because you need to, like that's the actual, that's the focus you want to try to communicate this particular thing. Uh, sometimes you need to say these things just to learn how words work, how sentences oh. work. How do uh -huh. you use language to convey more meaning uh, than what you're able to right now? And so I, I think I think that is a step towards being less stuck and enslaved by language. Is like the more you engage with language itself, as opposed to specific things that can be said in a language, uh -huh. um, maybe 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 that leads to a, a, a freer relationship with the language. Yeah, uh, and maybe that leads to to language not becoming as much, you know, a source of those, these, instead of being a blindfold that separates you from the experience, uh -huh. uh, somehow if you, if you get into more of a spontaneous relationship with it, uh, it can be a way out of these mazes. There's a, there's a modest mouse line, language, language is a liquid where we're all dissolved in great for solving problems after it creates a problem. Right. I guess, I guess that's, that's part of what I'm saying. It, it does create a lot of problems, but if you learn to use it well, it can be your way out of those problems as well. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. I understand what you're saying, I believe, <laughs> about being more involved in the, in, in, in the, in the language itself, as opposed to, you know, what it is that you're trying to say and just the structure of language and being aware of that. That's a good trick though. And that would do, uh, that, that would, uh, require a mind, I think much greater than my own. Well, that's not saying anything. Um, but, um, uh, uh, the glossolalia thing, um, is, is to me kind of like it, I was thinking when you were talking about McKenna talking the glossolalia, it was kind of like vocal jazz, you know, you're, you're riffing and there's, you know, and once you, you know, I mean, like a jazz musician is, knows the structure of music so well. And, and I mean, his, his premotor cortex is so well established with his instrument that he doesn't even have to think about playing. There's a, a right. musician by the name of David Lindley, uh, who plays, who used to play a lot with Jackson Brown. Uh, here in America and around the world, and 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 uh, I, they had a conversation one time about uh, improvisation and all that, and uh, and Lindley was talking about the fact that the best stuff comes when you're not even thinking about it, that it just comes out, and so the the ability to engage in glossolalia uh, is you you really do have to get out of the way and just let it flow which to me also brings up the question of speaking in tongues and the whole religious thing that uh, like Southern Baptists, um, you know, oftentimes speak in tongues and, and, and charismatic Christians uh, speak in tongues all the time. Uh, and they say they're getting the it direct message. It often feels message. forced though. I'm sorry, what? It, oftentimes it feels forced. Like what I've seen, um, you know, I've never really been to a church where this is happening but uh, I've seen some of these uh, sermons by preachers where they suddenly start doing that. And, it, yeah. you know, McKenna said in his 
I understand. When he was given that sample, he said, yeah. like, uh, I'm going to give you, you know, a little taste of it if I'm able. Because if I get yeah. self-conscious, yeah. then I know I'm faking it. Yeah, uh, The yeah, audience exactly. would not necessarily find out that he's faking it, but he would know. And yeah, with sure. many of these preachers, I think they're faking it all the time. And and I wonder, I wonder, uh, there might be some legitimacy to some of them. At least I understand. There used to be a guy on, on TV who was one of these preachers, and he would speak in tongues, and and his whole thing was, send me money so that I can <laughs> continue to spread the word of God. And, and, and it sounded pretty much the same every time what he was saying. So he was clearly, clearly a fraud. I mean, this guy was yeah. such a charlatan. It was just, it just dripped. From, he even looked the part. He was just greasy looking, you know, just this terrible looking guy. But there there might be, I mean, and this goes back to um, your conversation with Tanya too, about uh, the cultural, the way that we interpret things culturally, depending on the culture that you're raised in and, and uh, you know, how, how uh, uh, the legitimacy giving to the voices that we hear. Um, uh, mm -hmm. depending on the culture that you're raised in. And so there could be people uh, who are genuinely convinced, uh, you know, and who's to say that they're not, that their particular religious glacialia is actually the voice of God coming through them. I, I tend to doubt it myself. I don't think God works that way, but who knows? I mean, yeah. Well, God is a slippery word as well. It, it definitely yeah, absolutely. different things by it. Of course. But yeah. what I was thinking when you were talking about this, like we, we can be talking about glacialia as the separate thing, but at a certain level of abstraction, how is it different from what we're doing right now? Like exactly. If, you're just, if you were some kind of a creature, uh, intelligent, but not, you know, without language as we know it, mm -hmm. and you just mm -hmm. look at these, like you see all of these different uh, animals doing different things on the plant. And then there's one animal that engages in this, like they just get together and they sit and they don't really move around. They just make these very complex, <laughs> small mouth noises, as, my, as McKenna called them. And they're just in, you know, this is some kind of a trance thing that they're doing. Uh, whether it's glacialia or a language that we, we've, you know, a, what what is the difference between glacialia and uh, and a, a natural language? It's like the language is shared. Everybody in yeah. a culture makes the same kind of noises, and yeah. they have a, a, a pretty good shared understanding of which sequence of noises means what. And when McKenna is doing his glacialia thing, he doesn't know what he's saying, and the audience doesn't know what what he's saying. There's still an engagement with the thing, though. There's still a feeling to it. There is, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you know, exactly. a mood to it. It can, it can, you know, summon certain images in your head. And it's interesting to think about the development, like the origins of language. Right. Because at one point in time, we were these apes that didn't do the same thing that we're doing now. Yeah. And McKenna had an interesting theory. He said that uh, he thought that probably for the first however much time it was more entertainment 
than anything else. It's just like you do the glassolalia thing. It's, it's you get together and you make these blah, 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 blah noises. And um, it's just pleasurable. It's just a way to spend time. It's a way to, you know, have a connection to other animals in your pack. Uh, that's not, no information is being transmitted the way we transmit them, uh, transmitted now through these uh, developed languages. But it was just fun. And then at some point, somebody somehow realized that, you know, maybe if you make the noise and you also point to a thing, then the thing yeah. and the noise get connected. Yeah. And then you can transmit your, the contents of your mind to the other person by making right. the noises. And then yeah. this yeah. is, I don't think there's any basis for this. It's just speculation. It's just interesting to think about. But it, to me, it all comes back to what I was saying, what I was trying to point towards with these examples about the uh, making connections on the internet, uh, you know, the McKenna's glossolalia thing. What I'm trying to point towards is I feel like I'm getting better lately at being a node in a network that that uh. is beneficial to the other nodes, meaning, you know, my communication with friends uh, or coworkers or somebody writes me a letter and uh, suggests that we do something creative together. Uh, I think I'm slowly getting a little better at that. And, and I'm trying to understand the nature of that relationship between myself and other people. And all of this stuff about the nature of communication, you know, is relevant here. What I'm doing when I'm talking to you now, what I'm doing even by myself when I think about shit, what I'm doing when I do some work with a person, it's like I get better at all of these things if I am less anxious and less attached to, uh, you know, these formulations of this and that there's there's something there's a connection that can be maintained between people that's that's easier to maintain and it's more beneficial to them if there is this relaxed flow of something that's very hard to pin down whether it's in speaking there's you know a vibe a flow of something behind the actual words behind the actual sentences that we utter there's you know, there's you and there's me and we're doing some kind of a thing. There's like a, maybe maybe music could be a good comparison here. Like, uh, you know, what is happening when two people who actually know how to play an instrument start playing together? There is, you know, vibration. There's some kind of a harmony that one person does and, and the other person can get in sync with that. Uh, and, and the same kind of thing is present in all of these different, you know, ways of connecting, whether it's right. talking or right. doing a thing. You know, when I buy flowers uh, for my girlfriend, that's also communication. I'm not saying yeah. anything here, but yep. uh, but something is being accomplished here in terms of human connection. And when I'm doing some work uh, for somebody else or when uh, I'm engaged in a creative enterprise uh, with somebody else as equals nobody you know hired anybody mm -hmm. to do the work but we got together and we're doing the thing 
All yeah. of these things feel like different expressions of the same exactly. process right. that probably carries on inside of my head even when I'm alone. It's not, uh, you know, because there are still modules of my own mind that are conflicting feelings or thoughts that also get more harmonized if there's more of this flow of whether it's ideas or sentences or feelings or whatever. So I don't, very hard to put a finger on, on this thing or to formulate, you know, when it gets better, when it gets worse, what makes uh, this energy flow stuck and when it gets it unstuck. I mean, there are specific things that I do notice, like sex helps. <laughs> There's the, the, there were some times uh, in the last few months where I like would be in a shitty mood and just didn't feel good about you know. There's like stuff at work that needs to be figured. And I'm not I'm not you know getting things done in time, and this house is not the way I want it to be. And there's like extra furniture here that really nobody needs, uh, <laughs> but we can't throw it away because it doesn't belong to us, and all of this stuff. And then sometime later, I'm in a kitchen, you know, 2 a.m., eating a banana, just perfectly happy, just nothing bothers me. I'm not even thinking about anything. I'm just exactly. like sitting on, on the table and my exactly. girlfriend comes out of the bathroom like, you know what? Sex really is a big part of this thing. <laughs> but, you know, two, three days, I was like, frustrated with life with my situation in life and work and this and that and then what really was happening is that energy flow was not uh you know flowing the, the, there was something got stuck and then through getting together synchronizing with a person i love uh, uh you know bringing pleasure to one another it just like yeah. you just clean that shit out and you're uh, you're back to being in a good mood. I hey, wanted to ask um, you about so the those periods of clarity uh, that you talk about. Do you know when they start? How often they start? Like if there is a cycle there, if there is a pattern? No, hold on. I've got a, I've got a lot of things to say about the stuff that you're talking about there. Uh, okay. First of all, your 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 face has disappeared from my screen because of a. Uh, uh, your video has been disabled due to internet quality issues. Uh, uh, although you're still you're still being recorded, but oh, there you are. Now you're back. Oh, and much clearer too. Okay, that's good. Okay. Um, uh, I the the um, the animals, uh, uh, you know, hanging out. Of course, animals do communicate with one another um, sure. in a variety of ways uh, through vocal inflection. And, you know, they're making these guttural utterances that maybe to them have some agreed upon meaning, some consensual meaning, the same way that our guttural utterances have to you and I, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're, uh, uh, you know, common, you know, common, common, uh, you know, it's, all, it's a common language, um, uh, which is, which is in itself entirely remarkable that we are able to you know, produce these sounds that do have some meaning, that we can communicate the contents of what it is that we're thinking about and all of that. I have a pair of crows 
who uh, here that live in a tree up behind my house who have trained me to feed them every day. And, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, and I am, I am attempting to get closer and closer to them. I, I, I pick up a, some cat food, some kibble and throw it out on the sidewalk for them. And I stand about four feet away from them and they come down and eat it while I'm standing there. And one of them is really reticent. The male is really reticent. The female is braver. And she comes around, hops around, and eats all the food and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, I summon them by, by cawing, like, like, mm-hmm. like that. And, and then they, wherever they are, I see them flying from, you know, way long ways away because they might be in a different part of the neighborhood. But they'll fly over because they know that I'm there, and they'll come down and they'll eat. But I'm trying to get, you know, uh, close enough to them to eventually have them eat out of my hand. And it's going to be a long process. I love crows. And crows in particular are just incredibly intelligent animals. Yeah. Uh, they're able to, I've seen films of them solving these complex puzzles. I've seen mm-hmm. them sharing their food with one another. I myself have witnessed them doing a variety of things, um, play, placing walnuts out on the road so that a car will come and run over it and break the walnut over so they can get the meat out. I've seen them playing, dropping feathers from trees and flying down and catching them before they hit the ground and all like that. So yeah, who knows what animals are saying, but I I think they are saying something. And you talk to Leo, you talk to Leo all the time and Leo understands you by the tonal inflection. I don't want to put any animal down in terms of their abilities. Yeah, but exactly there's something special about what we're doing with language too. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, if you if you were observing it from from the outside, you would notice that this particular animal is spending a lot of time making these small mouth noises. Yeah, and 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 look at elephants and their communities, uh, mm-hmm. and the uh, subaudible tones that they make, and their uh, their the network of relationships that they have. There's a, and if you've ever looked into an elephant's eye, there's a hell of a lot going on deep down in. I mean, there's just, there. it's spooky. You look into the eye of an elephant close up, which I did in India because my guru had an elephant. And we were able to go over there and, and be there with the elephant. And it knows. It just knows. And, and uh, you know, dolphins and all that kind of stuff who are probably more intelligent yeah. than we are, for God's sake. Um, but, you know, getting back to this thing that occurs in all of these various circumstances, whether you're working with a person or communicating with them by email, or you and I doing this thing that we're doing right now. Hello, Leo. Um, uh, 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 I think I think that it involves this thing that you've just asked me about about this clarity thing, and I think it does involve a sense of self transcendence. Um, mm-hmm. I know that myself, and this is one of the wonderful things about being a creative person, that when I'm at the easel and it is going well, um, there's nobody there. I'm just, it's just happening right. through me. And um, uh, and and so I think that, I think that, that, that that quality you know, that's called presence. I mean, you're just so present in the moment that the past and the future completely disappear. And this is, incidentally, this is the narrow gate that the that Jesus the Christ talked about, you know, when he said, wide is the way that leads to destruction, and many there are that go in thereat, and narrow is the gate that leads to righteousness, and few there be that find it. 
Well, the narrow gate is the present moment, and the, the, the wide gate is the past and the future. You know, when you're in the wide gate, in the past or the future, you're either regretful or depressed about something that happened, or you're anxious about the future. And so you're just completely, you're, you're lost. But when you're in the present moment fully and the pane of glass disappears, that leads to, it leads to life, you know? And he also said that, that he who loses his life finds life. And he who finds his, he, he that loses his own life finds life and he that finds life loses his own. And this is what he's talking about is that the sense of self disappears in those times when you're in deep communication, when we're in deep communication with one another. The past and future disappear. We're just here right now. And when you're working with somebody else, whether it's through an email or on a project, you know, and all that kind of stuff, uh, whatever it might be, the sense of self disappears. And and we we attain that that thing that subsumes uh, the process itself, that's there behind the scene at all times that we don't have access to because we're so busy with our problems or with our despair or wh whatever it is, you know, that takes us out of the moment. Um, and so, and, and, and I, I think that, 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 I think that there is a name for that thing. I think it's called love, you know, that that's the, I think that, I think that love is the fundamental underlying is the scientific the scientific name for the fundamental underlying operating principle of the universe is love that's the scientific name for the fundamental underlying operating principle of the universe and if we can come to love um the universe will work much better our lives will work much better our, 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 the, the world will work much better. We see how it's working right now without it, you know, with all the enmity that's going on, all of the conflict that's going on, all of me versus you, my tribe versus your tribe, my nation versus your nation, all of that. It's not working at all. And when you're working in concert with your friend, you know, on a project in common, um, you're in love. You're working toward a common goal that transcends both of you. And, and um, I, I just think that that's what it is. And I, I also think that that's what this, this whole clarity thing is. And um, it, it, yeah, I mean, this has been a long process for me since 1974 with a negative mystical experience, which is the thing that put my feet on the path in the first place, to try and understand this, to, to what the hell happened to me? Why is why do I feel this way? What what's all this emptiness all about? What is this horror? This 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 I mean this physical pain. What is it all about? This psychological pain. This this feeling like I'm falling through infinite space and I'm going to splatter against the the bricks of an existential void at any moment. Um, what's that all about? And so you know, slowly, little by little, over these last years, um, have I come to, you know weave all of these disparate teachings that I've studied all these years together that all seem to be pointing to this one direction, in this one direction, to this one conclusion, that, that it's all about coming out of Plato's cave. And the, the people in Plato's cave are, are all of us who are trapped in, you know, the shadows on the wall of Plato's cave are all of our representations of reality, 
our mental structures, our mental constructs of reality, you know, how the world works, our belief systems, our prejudices, our biases, the things that we're not willing to look at, all of those things that cloud our vision. And the person who gets out of Plato's cave is the one who realizes that that's not who we are. That's not who I am. Who I am is the awareness behind all of these thoughts, all of these prejudices, all these biases. And the way that you get out of Plato's caves is, cave is by being aware of them constantly, continually, over and over and over again, until you see that those thoughts are nothing more than, than thoughts that are superimposed over reality itself, over the awareness that we really are, that, that is eternal and unchanging within us. It's always here. This awareness is always here. And when we realize that that's what we are, we start to get out of Plato's caves, cave. And we see those, we see the shadows on the wall as ephemeral, as, as insubstantial, that, 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 uh, and if we stop identifying with them and believing them, then we ourselves are out of the cave and are in that clarity and in that open sunshine, that field of awareness. And, and you know, and, and Jesus who broke out of the, the cave and Buddha who broke out of the cave and all of the, you know, the, the Hindu, uh, you know, Lao Tse and Taoism who broke out of the cave and all the Zen masters who broke out of the cave you know, go back into the cave and try and tell, hey, you know, you're in the cave and, and you're watching shadows on the wall. Come on out here. I've got, you know, listen to what I'm saying. I'm telling you that you're in the cave. Come out here and find out who you really are and what it is that you really are and, and come into the sunshine again. And that sunshine is truth, is reality, and is love, and ultimately is God itself, you know. And, 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 and in this, here was the other part of this, Nikita is that in in awareness itself in awareness itself when i when i when i'm experiencing this clarity uh in its fullest bloom which is which is uh, a, a very nascent thing with me right now um you know i'm just beginning on this but there's the realization that there is no inner or outer there's no mm -hmm. inside or outside um you know it, it's like it's like here, here's the experiment. Do you have a pencil or something right in front of you, uh, you know, that you can pick up and look at? Yeah, great. Okay, uh, put that pencil down on the on the table in front of you, and 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 look at that or look at that pen. Look at it and ask yourself this question: Where does the pen end, and where does my experience of the pen begin? And then ask yourself: Where does my experience end, and where do I begin? There's no, there's no seer seeing the scene. There's only seeing. There's no right. hearer hearing the herd. There's only hearing. And it's only by virtue of, a, 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 of an intellectual narrative placed over the field of this awareness that tries to convince us that there's actually someone there who's experiencing all this when it's not the case. And when you are communicating with your friend and working with your friend, whoever it might be, you're talking with your friend, that same thing happens. You disappear. There's no more Nikita listening to this person. There's no more Nikita working with this person. Nikita has been transcended 
and and it's just happening. It's just you're involved in the creative process and you disappear and and it's love. Do you have a theory of why that's not always the case? Yes, because well, and and I'll repeat to you what I have learned and what seems to be the experience for me during these periods and that is is, is a process of identification and 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 um uh, uh um attachment that that you know when you know a thought goes through my head and i identify with it as my thought as you know who i am you know i used to be a clown i know how to juggle i paint pictures uh, I went to high school, I traveled around the world, I went to India and all that. And when I when I identify with that narrative as being who it is that I am, and I form that into the solid structure of Pulaski, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, then that's going to block my perception of reality the way that it that it really is. You know, and, but and why not only does that. that I'm sorry? Why does that process start? Why does that process start? So there's just awareness, and then we, suddenly a we pattern are, starts to form within the yes, awareness, and, and are, then part of the awareness are, identifies itself with it. Uh, I, I I would believe that that it's because we're enculturated that way by people who are ignorant of the truth itself. Our parents they didn't know that. You know, they thought, well, here's my baby, you know, I'm going to treat him as a separate object. And, uh, and then we come to believe it, that we are separate, that that there, that Nikita is there looking at the, there's a Nikita there looking at the pen on the table, you know, and the pen and I are, are two different things. And I am the, right. I am the seer seeing the scene. And that's perfectly natural. I mean, you know, I mean, that's the way that the world is enculturated. Um, uh, and, and. And, 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 and I mean, you know, and so we've got, we've got the identification with the intellectual narrative that that's who it is I am. I am this narrative when in fact, and that's the thing that clouds our pure awareness and then, um, and then uh, identification and, 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 um, and attachment, you know, and we become attached to that. And if we if we can become and, and become attached to our thoughts and our thought process, and by watching the thought process, just as you would watch clouds in a sky or cars going by on the street and not identifying with them and not being attached to them as yours or wanting to possess them. And the more that we do that, um, it's just like exercising any muscle. The more that you do it, the stronger you get. And eventually you one becomes aware that they are the awareness that that underlies that subsumes that thinking that we are that field of clear awareness through which all of those cars pass through which all of those clouds pass through which all of the emotions pass and if we are able to not be attached to them they just they come and they go no feeling is forever no thought is forever. No object is forever. Nothing is, and the only thing that's forever is nothing. Nothing is forever. <laughs> nothing. And, and you are that nothing, as it turns out. You are that empty field of awareness. And then 
you realize, you know, the senses are the agents of consciousness. And, 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 and so it comes to, it comes then, who is it that feels the, the chill on a cold day? Well, it's the universe itself. You are the universe itself experiencing itself. So, so, you know, when we take the DMT trip, or when we take the acid trip, or when we take the ayahuasca trip, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That's all well and good. But to, and, you know, we, we, and we see the entities, and we see all the colors, and we, we, we come into contact with Mother Ayahuasca and all of that. The important thing is not that. It's not the entities. It's not Mother Ayahuasca. It's not the, you know, the psychedelic colors and the patterns and all of that. That's not the important thing. The important thing is what the fuck is it that is aware of all of those mm -hmm. things? And it's that, that thing that is aware is unchanging, is constant. Is he, or it's, I'm, I'm quoting now because I don't know myself. Like I said, this is a nascent thing with me. But... It is, it is eternal, unborn, and undying. Now, you know, after the negative miracle, uh, mystical experience that I have, and all of my life, in fact, I have been like a, uh, 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 I have been like a man trying to negotiate an earthquake on roller skates. I've had no firm foundation on which to stand. So my whole journey has been to try and find a ground of being from which I can live my life, from which this life can be lived. So I don't go jump off the bridge, for God's sakes, because, you know, it's, it's so goddamn horrific. We're, we're falling through infinite space into who knows where, and what a terrifying idea that is, you know? Um, uh, so I have searched for that ground of being. And this awareness itself, this great emptiness that contains all things and is actually all things at the same time, uh, because nothing relies on, for, you know, emptiness relies on form and form relies on emptiness. Uh, one mm -hmm. couldn't be without the other. And so um, uh, uh, to, to realize then uh, in those blissful moments that, that I am this ground of being, this awareness itself, uh, that doesn't change, that doesn't go away, that's always there, that you don't have to maintain. There's nothing that you have to do to keep it in place. It's just always there. If you realize that's who you are, my God, that's the truth, and the truth will set you free. And, and there's a firm foundation from which a person can live their life. With all of the ver uh, the 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 the, the uh, you know the um, what's the word the, the the vagaries of human existence. So, and and again, I mean, this is this is you know Buddha talked about the same thing. Jesus talked about the same thing. The, you know when sure. Jesus said that you know and I'm sorry to be I don't mean to be Christian here or anything like that, but you know he was a wise he 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 got it. He was a non-dual mystic for God's sakes. It's obvious if you just read him. And look at what he said or what he's purported to have said. But one of the things that he said is, you know, um, um, having this, this, you know, this pearl of great price, he talks about it in one form. But he also talks about this thing as, as the man who built his house upon the rock, as opposed to the man who built his house upon right. the sand. 
and the man who built his house upon the rock, this unshakable foundation. When the storms come then, he's, he can withstand them. There's you know nothing. But if the man who built him, his house upon the sand, which is to say, who takes his, his security in the form of that which is transient, you know, material right. possessions and, you know, and all of that, uh, uh, you know, when the winds of change come, you know, he's going to be blown away. Uh, I'm not sure about the best way to connect this uh, to what you were saying, but um, one thing I've been thinking about is whether there has to be this contradiction between the culturally established ways of thinking and mm -hmm. the thing that you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think there has to be that contradiction. It's just a, a challenge and creative project to create a culture that if you use the, the Plato's cave um, analogy, you know, to put the shadows on the wall of that cave that uh, maybe would, you know, part of the of the play of those shadows would be a, a story about how there's a cave and you can get out, or part of it can be just something exactly. that's uplifting, well, or, or 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 not be you know, uh, not be a negative experience at least. And so yeah. I, I'll just share this this recent feeling I had. Well, two things I want to share: one about identity, and the other about ideas and um, culture in general. Right. The one about ideas is I've spoken here with John. I talked uh, about this notion that I was um, ideas as know, thinking about, writing about, uh, yeah, wondering, and sort of like at one point I, I was trying to kind of develop it into something, you know, a framework. Uh, and the notion is that ideas can be seen as living entities, living beings with right. which you can establish relationships. You can... Um, you know, be good to them, and then maybe they would be good to you. You could mm -hmm. could be a premise for, um, you know, figuring out which ideas you want to get engaged with and uh, which you don't, etc. So I was like in that headspace for a few weeks, and prior to that most recent DMT trip of mine, I was thinking about it as like maybe there's something really there. Like maybe it's uh, a seed of a way of thinking about the situation that would be actually accurate. Like maybe that's, if you, you know, develop it further, that would be an accurate description of what is happening here, that there is this world of ideas on and on. And then I smoked that changa, and I should go in like, 15 or 20 minutes, I think, because Leo really wants to take a walk and he's been complaining sure. for a while. You now. bet, that's fine. Um, and so I smoked that, uh, you know, mixture of herbs, uh, one of which contains DMT. And in between the trips, I thought back about this idea, about ideas, you know, that framework. And with a little bit of sadness, I had to break it to myself that it's nowhere close to being an accurate description of what is happening. Yeah. It's just, you know, I was in that experience that we don't have words to... Words fail. Yeah, words fail. And, and uh, you know, this thing that I, I had hopes for in terms of being an accurate description, 
uh, it's just very clearly it's not. It's it's nowhere close, and and uh, and I don't have an accurate description, and I don't know if it's possible to have an accurate description. So there's a, there was a little bit of a letdown there, but then immediately after, I thought, well, that doesn't mean you need to abandon it because you know, as long as you're engaged with, uh, you know, the the play of the shadows on the wall, as long as that's what you do normally. Um, well, then you need to figure out a good way to do a good play, right? A play that's uplifting, a play that that maybe yeah, yeah part of the sure. message of the play is there's a cave, etc. So that's, that's just why my we have thinking drama about, and art. And... Yeah. So so I guess my conclusion there was that the measure of this idea or other ideas should be not whether it's true whether it's an accurate description, but rather whether it's a description that's helpful, whether it uh, yeah. makes the situation yeah. better or worse. Yeah. And, and yeah, I guess a part of it is if within your narrative there's a way out of that narrative, right? Mm -hmm. If the narrative, if somehow, so sort of, you know, the Tao Te Ching starts with a Tao that can be expressed in words is not a real Tao. It's a beautiful way to start a book about the Tao. You're saying everything that follows this first sentence is definitely not the thing that I'm talking about. Right, exactly. Isn't this right. like Girls Incompleteness Theorem or something like that? You know that... A, That's probably true, but I'm not yeah. educated and, enough uh, to... <laughs> uh, the, the book by Den, Daniel, was it Daniel Hofstetter? I can't remember now. Wrote Girdle, Escher, and Bach. That book, the great, great, incredible book. But well, that's a side point. Go on, continue yeah. on with what you're saying. I forget if that was the the author, but uh, yeah. Uh, so that that's one thing. And then the other thing is, you know, I I was asking you about the source of this. Uh, I don't know what we should call it. The you know, so the source of the problem when the awareness gets narrowed down and we get attached to identity and to the. Uh, descriptions of what is happening as opposed to what is actually happening. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, that, that thing that I said just now was about the descriptions of what is happening, right? It, maybe there's a way to produce a description that would not be accurate, but would still be helpful and mm -hmm. would not be in contradiction with what is happening. Right, um, yeah. And then the identity part is something that I've been thinking about again because I'm you know doing these various things yeah creatively mm -hmm. and part of what is happening is an image of myself starts to form that's clearly not myself uh, for the people engaging with this material that I'm putting out right so like I'm writing a newsletter, uh, I'm adding drawings there, there may be a, a drawing, like an auto-portrait there. Mm -hmm. Even if there's not that, there's still, there's like a person reading and they have an image of who they're reading, what what this is. Or you and I are talking now, you know, you have an idea of what I am based on our conversations. Mm -hmm. It's probably a more accurate image than what most of the listeners would get because you're able to ask me a question, we're engaged in a 
in a conversation where you know there's more of a clear sense of what I am because you can you know push me sure. or do do something and 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 see what the reaction right. is. But in any case, an image starts to form, and I can see that I can play with it uh, consciously. Uh, you know, I can choose to smoke a cigarette when I'm having a conversation or not. I can choose to wear a tracksuit or wear, uh, a sh you know, official looking shirt or whatever. Um, and, and even outside of the thing with other people, if I'm approaching my identity myself, like I'm as a creative project, as a thing that, or as a tool, um, then maybe again, there you can do it in a way that's better than our normal ways that we're used to. Maybe I can, because because it's not like, you know, maybe maybe I can get to that place where there's just no identity and it's pure awareness, and uh, I just live my life in that state. But it hasn't happened for you know a prolonged period of time yeah, in sure. my life. I, yeah. it's hard to sustain that state of mind. It is. It and is. So it's, yeah, it's very it, hard to sustain that for anyone. And so, if there there has to be, uh, for much of my life, there has to be an identity. What are mm -hmm. the ways to shape that identity in a way that it would not be contradictory to other layers of? existence where that identity is either not present or is of a different, uh, you know, level of abstraction or something. Like I'm, I'm Nikita Petrov, a particular person who sure. is of a yeah. certain age with uh, these views and commitments, etc. I'm also, yeah. you know, a Russian or a man or yeah. A, yeah. a representative of a certain generation or uh, a, a human being. Right, there are different levels of that, and so this is something that is very uh, preliminary for me right now. But I'm I'm wondering about this sort of creative project of approaching identity as this thing that you need to engage with consciously and uh, help the let's say smallest of yourselves to carry on in a, in a in a healthier way and if you if you can establish a good working relationship uh, uh, a loving relationship between various versions of what you are various identities that we change like we change clothes mm -hmm. then you know the, if they all uphold one another and get each other closer to a dissolution and uh, you know this free flow of something that can be named as opposed to a plan for the next week of Nikita Petrov, the, uh, mm -hmm. you know, person who lives there and then does this, then maybe, you know, that, that sounds like a worthwhile project. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that, I guess that's just me saying, uh, you know, a, a part of where I am creatively in terms of my own life and in terms of the kind of, you know, writing or drawing that I, that I do is approaching the these things that I do in a way that like I know this is not going to be it 
this is I'm not going to produce truth here. I'm not going to describe what really is happening. I'm not going to, you know, put the uh, put the thing that can be put in words, put that in words, or you know, draw an image of God or whatever. That doesn't <laughs> seem to be available right now. Yeah. But maybe there's a way to engage in this thing uh, that would not contradict the thing that can be approached and would be, in fact, in some kind of a, you know, good relationship with it. If, if all of the different layers of experience would not fight between one another, wouldn't, it's not like, oh, I'm, you know, there's the identity and I'm, and I'm stuck with this identity and the rest of the world is uh, in, in some kind of a conflict or, or a contradiction with it. Or if instead of all of that, you, you know, have your identity and it, it let's say, a shadow character on that wall, right? Yeah, yeah. You develop a character and you make the character do a dance and there's a narrative that is created out of the interplay of all of these characters. If, if you're mindful, you know, if you have artistic integrity and good intentions and uh, you actually put some effort into it, then that narrative, the life of that character and what other characters get out of the interaction with that character and what the audience looking at the shadows get out of the whole play and you as an artist the the person who created the character if all of you get something out of this you know that you feel better and you yeah. uh find yeah. meaning in all of this then the play doesn't have to be yeah. a documentary right no i think that, uh, that, so, that you know that the the, the the, the characters that we create are some of the most important and wonderful pieces of art that we will ever do. You know, the person right. that I am, uh, this character that I am, the persona that I am, uh, you know, is, it, 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 can, it can be all of that. It can be a, a wonderful thing that, you know, I mean, there are many different levels that we live our lives at, um, you know, as, as entities, our shadow selves, you know, our, uh, the self of the part of us that is pure awareness and all of that. And I think the closer that we can get to realizing that, that greater self that we are, the awareness self that we are, then we can come back, you know, into the world and play with our, uh, our, all of those, all of those other things and create this character that is a shadow on the wall for the other participants that can be a good thing. That can, I mean, that's what we're doing right now, you and I. You know, we're we're right. you know we are dancing the shadows on the wall for one another and and creating right, those things. Right. Um, um, I, I and 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 I think that 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 part of that process, um, you know, the 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 creative thing that you want to do that will be a good thing on that wall. Part of that process is the spiritual practice that keeps one foot in both worlds that 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 uh, that that reminds us of our fundamental ground of being 
and yet at the same time still operates in the world and manifests that, uh, that brings our, our spiritual realizations into the world and, and, and it continues to create these dramas and these shadows on the wall uh, for one another. Uh, and, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, I think to uh, I think that to um, to realize that, or to even want to realize that deeper self. Well, there's an old again. There's this old uh, mystical um, bromide that says that suffering is the first grace, mm -hmm. and the reason that that's true is that if you suffer enough, you're going to want to find out the reason that you are suffering, and and eventually that will lead you to this deeper truth if you're really suffering a lot and you really are tired of suffering and you just don't want to suffer anymore you'll keep on that path for 30 years if you have to 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 find out what the um, what the, uh, the the deeper truth is um but you know there are many flowers in the field and they all grow with different colors and in different ways and it's all okay and you are we are manifestations of this one consciousness. And so, um, as St. Augustine said, love and do what you will. And as they say in Judaism, if you find something offensive, don't do it to your neighbor. And the rest is commentary. You know, so, oh, yeah. so be Nikita, be Nikita. And, you know, you can't help but be Nikita and be Nikita and bring all these wonderful things to the world that you do. I mean, you enrich my own life uh in 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 such deep ways you know it it makes me glad that you're out there on the other side of the world and that we're able to do this this is just this to me is is remarkable and marvelous and this thing that you and i create that you were talking about that subsumes the conversation itself that transcends the conversation itself this thing that's love that is there that we can't put our finger on, but we know that it's there. You know, what a wonderful thing. I'm going to take this out into the world for the rest of the day, for the rest of the week, for the rest of my life, and give it away to everybody that I encounter. So, yes, the thing that you're creating on the wall does have that effect and does inform me in my daily life. And I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to take it out into the world and give it away to everybody that I encounter. So, you know, the thing that you are on the other side of the world will have a direct influence on, 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 on Seattle today, you know, as much as I get out. When I go to the grocery store to buy my groceries with my mask on today, I'm going to take you with me and give it away to everybody I encounter. And listen, there's one other thing before we go that, you know, I've been, I've been, I've watched this thing on this documentary on on um uh, on on uh, quantum entanglement um mm -hmm. for uh, five or six times now trying to understand it and and you know really really get it under my get it under my belt you know so i can really know what i'm talking about and really understand it and have this rational understanding and and the the only thing that i can take away with me is at the very end of this documentary this guy at at um at uh, uh, the place in New Jersey that Einstein taught when he died at the uh, the Institute of, of Higher Knowledge or whatever it was. I can't remember what it's called. But the guy who's running the operation now says, you know, the implications of this are, are, are the fact that space and time, 
seem to be seem to not exist. You know, and then there are other physicists who are saying this now too. We have to do away with face and space and time as ideas that don't don't work now with our new mathematics and our new understanding. And the implications of that are this: that when you're not looking at the moon, it doesn't exist. And the other implication is that whatever it is that you do has an immediate and direct effect on the entire universe instantaneously. Yeah, I don't know about the, you know, whether this is the correct rendition of what the quantum physicists are engaged with in because I have no idea what what quantum physics John keeps telling me you know little bits about it but um, I know I think yeah I think part of his message too is like he's is getting to know it better and it turns out yeah it's very hard to understand what what the hell is yeah. going on there yeah uh, so I don't I can't speak on that but in terms of my immediate experience uh, through these psychedelic journeys and through just life generally this does seem to be correct it seems that uh, like in this in this most well actually in, in every trip uh, that I've had in, in a few years, one of the things that keeps being reiterated uh, to me is the connection between something physical in my body, like a tense muscle mm-hmm. and everything else in the world. Yeah, like the what what's happening, you know, the, the pain that I have in my back or something is a representation of, you know, it's connected. It's, 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 it's a part of the overall process that is unfolding here. Um, and, and relaxing that muscle somehow is connected to making the world a better place. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it certainly feels that way. I want to, you know, without putting too many words on it, just throw everything, all of these nice things that you said uh, to me just now back at you. This is completely mutual. And that's part of the, you know, the interesting thing about it. This is, we've been talking about this thing of, of connection between people, how it works, what is really happening here, what is communication, et cetera. And the, that's, that's one of the more interesting parts about it is, it's, you know, what you're doing to other people is what they're doing to you. What, uh, you know, if if you and another person are engaged in any kind of interaction, you're doing the interaction to one another. Yeah. And then it, you know, ripples from there. So, yeah. uh, so it's really helpful to... St- start getting a little better at this stuff at, you know, having a conversation that actually makes both participant uh, feel better at the end of the conversation. Yep. 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 All right. Thank you so much. This was, this was very, uh, you know, highlight of, of the day in the week. And uh, now I'm going to, I'm going to go walk Leo because he, he was. He sat here for a while, just whining and letting me know that we really oh. need to go out. And then he gave up. He just left and abandoned me. With a, <laughs> hey, I'm hey, gonna, maybe it's the 
Maybe it's the ghost of your brother telling him that he has to surrender to find that peace. <laughs> I mean, I feel guilty now. I've, I'm, I'm going to have to understand. do something too. <laughs> Go take him for a walk. That's yeah. I'm I'm gonna get him a treat and and uh, good go for a walk. My regards to Karina. Uh, she sends hers as well. Yes. Good deal. Always a pleasure, right. Nikita. Take care, Thank my you. friend. Thank you so much. You bet. Uh, Thank yeah. you. Bye bye.